Hi, today I'm really um, looking forward to having a conversation with Scott from Sun Potion. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hello, Kate. Hello, everyone out there in the bubble. <laughs> um, so, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, what your what Sun Potion is, and um, how you became involved in the superfoods world? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, so, I'm I'm based over in California, and in Santa Barbara, California, which is just a little outside of LA. It's a great spot for food culture and for superfood and tonic herb culture over here. So um, it's really exciting to be on a talk with you today and to check in with your your audience and friends and people like that. Um, I So I own a company called Sun Potion and we started this. This project started about four and a half years ago upon moving to Santa Barbara. Uh, prior to that, I had been having a very ambient kind of outdoor living, uh, sort of barefoot California hippie experience for a number of, of years in the mountains of a little town called Ojai, which is near Santa Barbara, kind of up in the mountains. And uh, during that time, I was really interested in plants and connecting more deeply with specific individual superfoods and plants. A lot of times we get these complicated blends out there that can be a lot for the body to deal with. And over the several years prior to starting Sun Potion, I was really intrigued with finding best quality sources for single ingredient powdered tonic herb extracts as a means of really kind of like experientially diving into each individual plant and seeing how they affected my body and supported me and things like that. Um, well, go ahead. No, it's just so brilliant. I mean, it's really a lot of fun to to have that kind of a time and space to really jump in and, and really let the herbs individually and as a group kind of uh, saturate the body and mm. see what kind of intuition and what kind of subtle nuances to personal experience start coming online and um, it's a pretty exciting time to be able to have access to some of these amazing legacy kind of lineage keeper herbs that even as, as short as 10 or 15 years ago maybe it, the extraction process wasn't developed yet or maybe the, the market in the world was such that it was really really difficult to get some of these things and so you could take a, you could have a master herbalist even maybe 10 years ago who may or may not have access to some of the things that we just take for granted nowadays, like being able to go to the health food store or to be able to shop on your amazing website and have access to all the different plants and from different parts of the world and these things. So mm, Amazing. So when did you actually start Sun Potion? Well, Sun Potion started four and a half years ago. It was literally probably two weeks within moving to Santa Barbara, and there was just enough catalyst of activity and commerce and people and juice happening in in the town where I had moved to that Sun Potion literally just kind of sprang out of me with within a very short period of time. I had previously been asking really genuinely, like, Show me the path. Give me my, give me my mission. Like, where's my? I want my service role. Give me the download here, 
And so that had been the, the call for several years. And, and then that catalyst of moving to a new town, uh, almost immediately the commercial kitchen workspace evolved and followed quickly after that by labeling and packaging. And a lot of the sourcing had already been a part of um, kind of my personal curated collection of uh -huh. providers that I had fallen in love with the prior couple of years and, and fallen in love with their, their product and uh, become friends with the actual manufacturers or the people who were growing the material, things like this. So it's been a, it's been a fun exercise in uh, kind of brain, brain free creativity. So, to speak. <laughs> so what were the first products that you had what were the first products in your line oh great so that you know initially we started off with things really simple so it was things like chlorella we found that we had this really high quality chlorella powder so it was these little exercises like okay we got the bulk material okay we got the jars let's fill up the jars and see like <laughs> the perfect what's the perfect Side, you know, fill on this jar here, and so I fill it up right up to the the edge of the inner lining of the cap, and put it on the scale, 111 grams. I'm like, oh, that's that sounds auspicious, <laughs> but you know, what do you know? But like, it wasn't just the chlorella, but the macuna, the ashwagandha. There's a variety of the other beginning herbs that all weigh exactly 111 <laughs> grams. When put like to the speck of dust, like this would be a perfect fill. And not only that, it was like the, the address of my warehouse that I was using initially was 111A Santa Barbara Street. <laughs> there was, you know, the terminating numbers of several of the bank accounts I was using are all 111. So I was like, oh, taking, taking subtle and profound clues that yeah. we're on the right path here. Yeah. So you were just telling me about your chlorella before we started the recording. Do you want to tell us about the chlorella? We start there and why yours is... Um, different from the others on the market. Oh, great. Thanks. So I, you know, I had been eating chlorella a long time, and I found came across this source and really enjoyed the flavor, and there's this kind of a soft, round feel, texture, uh, feel in the mouth when, when drinking it, and it's, it has like a really mild smell. You know, some of these algaes you can get, and they maybe are oxidized or maybe it has to do with the way that they're grown or something, but they can smell a range of smells, maybe even ver verging on something like dog food or something like that. But the uh, this particular one smells really good. It tastes great. It's They're using, it's basically, so it's indoor, organic, grown in Taiwan. Uh, they're apparently using some water that's from an aquifer, so it hasn't been out in circulation prior to their use at the lab there. And they're using sound frequency to actually shatter the cell wall. So they pressurize tanks of the liquid, and then they ping it with sound. And the, uh, the end result is this totally bioavailable, nutrient-rich, amazing powder that tastes great. And it's kind of one of those things that, like, if you want to really have a great start to the day, you start off with a little half teaspoon of the chlorella with eight ounces of water uh -huh. right away upon waking up. And it's, it's like such a quick fix because you're a little dehydrated from sleeping. 
and your your body literally just absorbs all the liquid directly into your bloodstream, right. and all that nutrition just goes right into the blood. So you said Chlorella, you also said Macuna, I think was one of your first ones. I'm a big fan of Macuna as well. Do you want to tell us why you why you like Macuna? Well, I think everybody really enjoys feeling well. So <laughs> Macuna is one of those things that is really beneficial to the mood, to the nervous system. It does have, this extract has a standardized 15% L-DOPA by weight. So as the people would have maybe a little half teaspoon or something like that each day, it's going to be titrating that information into the body. And within a short period of time, it starts really nourishing healthy dopamine levels. It can be elevating to the mood. It's But it's really known for being really soothing to the nervous system. So Makuna, some notable points about it. It's actually that 15% L-DOPA concentration is actually the number one natural treatment for Parkinson's. Uh -huh. It's a variety of naturopaths that order from us and prescribe it to their clientele. It's also, oh, if you look on our website, sunpotion.com, you'll see um, at the very bottom of the Makuna page is actually an article from the National Institute of Health mm -hmm. here in the U.S. So that's pretty much like you're talking to the FDA at that point. And it's, so it's at Johns Hopkins University. They funded this research study on the 15% L-DOPA concentration. And they were saying that it's highly protective to the mitochondria of the cell. This, of course, is where all the RNA and DNA are stored. Uh -huh. The article actually went even so far as to say that it's both uh, protective and restorative and can even repair damaged RNA and DNA. Wow. So, I mean, that's... And coming from the National Institute of Health, I was like, wow, we are definitely putting that on the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And where does your Makuna come from? The Makuna has grown in southern India. You know, it's interesting that Makuna grows all over the world. They're in the U.S., they use it for crop rotations. It's great for oh. fixing nitrogen into the soil. You can find it down in the Amazon, down, you know, think of where the raw cacao is growing. Oftentimes, the Makuna will be growing all over the forest floor around that. Uh, this particular one is from this great lab in India that we use and it's processed there and then we import it over here. And do you want to tell us about the extraction process that is used? Oh sure, so these are called, this segment, at least the Ayurvedic herbs that we're carrying or offering are all cold water extracts. So the basic situation there is they'll take the, the plant material and in a cold water bath, they pressurize the, the material in the liquid up to a high PSI and they release the pressure quickly and then they repeat that over and over again and basically explodes the potency and the power of the, the herb out into the water and they end up with this very concentrated cold water tea which has all of the significant properties or potency of the plant with none of the plant material is still in mm -hmm. it, uh, they actually will spray that liquid through a little jet, jet stream nozzle and as soon as it comes out of the nozzle there's an adjacent stream of air that they spray it through and it basically immediately dries the, the concentrated tea into these spherical little dried particles of tea basically. Huh. And so the powder that you're seeing in the jar has that potency, has that power of the plant, 
it has a standardized concentration of its active component, and yet there's really no plant material there. There's obviously no fiber and things like that. But so that makes it super bioavailable. Right, so it's really water soluble. So when you put it in your tea or coffee or water or whatever people are having, or their raw nut milk, something like that, it's relatively easy to absorb and dissolve into the water. Um, when obviously, then when you're drinking it, then that's going to happen through the body as well. Uh, Whereas most things on the market are hot water extracted. Um, there's a lot of them that are. I mean, there's others. There's many ways of extracting potency out of herbs. You can use a solvent like alcohol would be a, a good one. There's often there's solvents that are not so good. We can think of all those, but don't necessarily have to talk about them. And then there's hot water is a good method. It just a little bit depends on the particular plant. So like when we were saying about the chlorella, the best method or a really good method for making that chlorella bioavailable is that sound frequency shattered. And that might be in a progression from some of the other techniques that were more widely used like 20 years ago. And, and likewise, there's nuances to hot water extract, cold water extract, uh, sometimes alcohol extracted. It just depends a little bit on what the active component is um, and then what the what the best way to kind of work with that specific plant. Mm -hmm. Do you get to travel to the countries where they grow and actually meet the growers and the Yeah, we you know we travel quite a bit. We're, we're since January we've been on a pretty much continuous travel plan. The next two weeks we'll be in New York just doing workshops and things. But it's, oh, when I say we by the way, I'm referring to myself and my fiance Nitza mm -hmm. who's the creative director for the company and um, so as far as traveling to the, the labs and things in July we're going to Taiwan and Shanghai and we're going to go see a distributor in Tokyo so we'll be seeing some of the labs in the summer strip often there's there's been a handful of them in the US that we've gone and checked out and seen their operations really a lot of fun to go to the U.S. mushroom facility. They can produce like thousands, like tens of thousands of kilos a month. It's kind of uh, amazing. Uh, so is that in greenhouses? Growing chambers. There are these like rooms that are basically, they can very tightly monitor and control the specific growing environment depending on what's best for that particular species of mushroom uh -huh. and then they do a lot of things to keep the spores and things from jumping between strands so uh -huh. it's an interesting very definitely one of those science experiences that is a fun union of like looking at the ancient traditional lineage keeper foods combining that with some of these science aspects that we've been talking yeah, about yeah. And how I mean oh uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> sorry. Like specifically the cordyceps mushroom, it's absolutely fascinating what they do in the growing chamber for that. They were traditionally they've had a really difficult time mirroring the quality of of wild and cultivated cordyceps. Yeah. The, just the efficacy has been much lower in the cultivated, and 
so currently this this lab that we're getting the cordyceps from, they've been doing the indoor growing for some time. Now they, they were running up to that very similar problem of being able to find a way of doing it effectively so that it would really mirror the quality of the outdoor stuff. So what they did as a solution, they, they sent a group of their team over to some of the most premier, best harvesting locations for summer harvest, which obviously is above the snow line, often in the Himalayas or those kinds of areas. And it's really, really rough weather-wise. I mean, freezing rain and snow and warm, really warm during the day, super cold and below freezing at night. They're doing... So they took a lot of environmental readings while they were there, and then they came back, and in the lab, they've actually been able to mirror out things like altitude by lowering the oxygen content in the growing chamber, doing these temperature fluctuations. They can create freezing rain and sleet and snow and things actually in the growth chamber, all on rhythmic cycles, mirroring what would be happening during that prime growing yeah, season for wild. the wild cultivated, or the wild uh, collected, which is great because it's totally sustainable. It's totally vegan. Uh, you know, the wild cordyceps grow on on uh, caterpillars, yeah. so some people don't like that. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, another deterrent to the wild, really high-quality ones, is that they're currently the most expensive herb on the planet right now. I think that last year's harvest was cashing in at about $25,000 a kilo wow. for... Uh, some of the quality ones. And and so here we have a lab that is able to, oh, they were, they're, they've, they've gotten to the point with their process where they're able to genetically and biologically make an identical cordyceps, even though it's grown on sorghum, so it's vegan, grown indoors, sustainable, um, scalable, so they can make more if they need to or want to. And even the beta-glucan percentages they're able to get, which is the active part of that particular mushroom, they're able to get some of the percentages of those consistently higher than the best quality wild-harvested varieties of that mushroom. So science coming in to save the day. Yeah. So is this Americans who have, who have learned about the mushroom, you know, in the last sort of few decades or is this Chinese people working in America? Oh this particular lab is the US. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that must be recent then that the Americans have had that kind of awareness and, and know how. I would think so, yeah. I don't think they've been up in more than ten years. Yeah. This particular lab. Yeah. So that's what you're saying is all this is like really at the forefront of the delivery systems for these herbs. Right, and what's available today. I mean, it's actually quite amazing. Even just in communication level, we have a, a landline at the warehouse that we can call We can call Ghana and we can call Brazil and we can call these people directly. And so there is that, like, international community. One of the biggest windfalls, I feel, of, of sort of the globalization or the, like, sharing of markets around the world is this beautiful connectivity of some of these herbs being available and mm. being accessible and reachable and things like that. Mm. So, But to, to me it's so inspiring to see you taking this level of um, 
respect I guess for the ingredients because what what's happening a lot on the market in Europe at least at the moment is as things are becoming more popular and raw foods and superfoods become more popular there's so many businesses starting up and they're you know I don't I don't think it's fair to say that they're, they're cashing in on a market maybe they're just excited by the market growth um, mm-hmm. and but then they're not doing their homework and they're not using good quality ingredients and it's a, a massive thing here at the moment is stuff being called raw and not being raw and just you know just not good quality stuff that's entering the market so it's actually a, a really massive contrast to as opposed to what we have to deal with in a lot of our businesses people sending us things and we're like well you know what is that what, what do you think that is in that <laughs> totally. and they don't really know and then to hear you putting so much um effort and and care into making sure that it's this is really coming from the best sources and that yeah that this this is what it says it is and not just something that um people might buy because they read it was trendy in a magazine <laughs> well it's an excellent point and it's definitely one worth talking about, and I guess we could start by saying, to be really clear, I actually work for the herbs. Uh-huh. So these different plants, like I, my biggest service is to them because they actually want to be interacting with and working with the people out there in the world. Yeah. And so the the main motivator for even creating Sun Potion was to have a vehicle or an avenue for these best quality, amazing life-changing plants to be able to have a pathway to get into like your local grocery store. I mean, it's actually because I know what I've gone through personally to, to find some of these, these ingredient suppliers and things, I actually find it extremely pleasurable and amazing to walk into any one of the many grocery stores that we sell these products to and like, just see them on the shelf right. because they weren't there like that prior to what yeah. what we're doing and and I I mean it's really exciting to think that somebody who is just really mainstream and really you know really kind of traditional minded about approaches to food or about ingredients or things like that could conceivably have some kind of a health challenge or a concern that's they're coming up against and they go like well, I don't know, I, you know, I'll try something new. And they go and talk to their, the person in the store there, they're like, well, what, you know, you're having trouble sleeping, why don't you check out this ashwagandha extract or something. It's really good for, like, normalizing sleep cycle and a variety of other things and could help balance your hormones and these kinds of things. And then they start taking it, and the the awareness and the, the intelligence of that evolution of that whole plant lineage starts like ending up in their tea in the morning (laughs) and (laughs) the next thing you know people are having like full-on experiential shifts in how they're going through their day and the sensitivities that are happening in their body and the the like sense of maybe power or fortitude or kind of energetic reserve that's in their system and all of that kind of stuff is pretty exciting yeah so I, I think it's really an awesome time that we're in that it's like coming out like that and as as far as like on a on a standards level 
the governing principle of the brand is quality. And if there's there, it's ha it hasn't happened very often, but there have been a couple of times where we've had a wobble in quality from a provider lab, and you know, and then it it is basically like a really candid conversation, going like, well. This material is really popular, and and we are really grateful to have you bringing it to us. But yet we can tell there's been some kind of a shift in the raw materials supply side prior to the extraction, or something is different because we can notice little subtle differences in the taste and the flavor. There's that personal discernment. I think that when people really fall in love with the herbs, or fall in love with a specific plant and they really immerse themselves in uh, eating it on a regular basis, having it become a part of their life, like not just hiding it away, putting it away in the back of the cupboard and then taking it out, but like we keep our herbs on the counter in like an er like a shrine to them. Yeah. They, <laughs> they're like glowing on the counter. And it's because I want to see them. They're, they're nice to look at and they're a part of my life and I mean, so people, like, if we can encourage people to have anywhere near these kinds of firsthand um, kind of, like, relationship-based experiences with an herb, it's like a total victory on a lot of different levels. Yeah, yeah. Well, you touched on a few things. So I think what, what you said was actually a really beautiful summation of the magic of superfoods in the way it's one tiny little substance and it has can have such a massive impact on someone's life even without them consciously choosing that <laughs> um, and then I think also um, uh, you brought up another point which is for me also really key in my business is that we we sell what we take ourselves and it's really important to us that we provide something that's that that's the standard that we would want to enjoy ourselves. And I think that's where a lot of other companies fall short as well because it's not come from that place. And so what they're selling isn't, again, not from necessarily any negative intention, but it's not the best quality just because if you're not taking it on a daily basis, how would you know? <laughs> totally, absolutely. <laughs> and on paper... How could you fault those people for going like, well, we can get it for $15 less a kilo or 50 cents less a kilo yeah. from this guy over here? Because they don't know, they're not tuned in to like the actual, the like energetic or the spirit of that material anyways. Yeah. And so it's kind of like to them, they're just looking at the numbers going, well, oh, they're both green and they both kind of, they, I mean, you know, they're both green and they both say they're organic and they, you know, but if if people take the time to really have begin to have that relationship with the material or the plants or the foods or these things, um, and then I, I personally have relied heavily on on mentorship for stewardship of our business, for understanding more deeply about the different plants and herbs, and so I mean I didn't come up with the first introduction to these herbs like. I had teachers and mentors and people who taught me about the subtle aspects of the plants and how to discern a quality raw ingredient from a less quality parallel of the same thing. You know, and actually 
it does matter what altitude it's grown at. And actually, it does matter what the water's like and what the other plants in the area around it are like and what the soil composition and these things all have major influences on the resulting plant and then eventually the, the extract powders that we're using. And so like having a healthy curiosity and interest in finding out more and learning more and then listening to the body. I mean, on a personal level, how did I learn about a lot of these plants? It was from eating a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot of them, like way beyond recreational or <laughs> consumer levels, you know. And so then eventually just like the next inevitable potentiality was, of course, you're going to have an herb company. Look at how many herbs are around <laughs> your kitchen. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Do you want to mention any of those mentors? Is there anyone you'd specifically like to, to name check to tell us about? Yeah, absolutely. There's a guy named Max Christensen who's an amazing kind of Taoist teacher and I've learned a lot of internal Taoist alchemy practices from him, but he introduced me to some beautiful plants like blue lotus flower oils and teas and different ways of preparing lotus and and having some other, using some other herbs like during the internal alchemy practices or some of the kind of, well, you could call it tantra, like energetic tantra practices, uh -huh. practicing with a partner. And, um, and so I, there was a great uh, kind of ignition into the beginning of the power of some of these more esoteric aspects of specific plants. And people could find out more information from him by looking at, oh, it's been a couple of years. I'll think of his website in a minute. Sure. Uh, another one that I, whom I love is David Wolf. Or no, well, obviously we all love David Wolf. <laughs> I still like him in total appreciation and awe of David's, like, performances and conversations that he'll give from a stage. I'm just like... A big fan. I really enjoy it. Um, but I was going to say David Crow, who has the company Floricopia. Uh -huh. And from David, I he's, he's wonderful at explaining the kind of properties or energetic sort of signatures of different individual plants in the, in the form of essential oils. Okay. And so you, you start looking at what is, okay, so we have a plant growing on this hillside. Envi in the environment, there's like a five elemental constitution to what the, what the environment where that plant uh -huh. is growing. Uh -huh. Obviously, something growing in a rainforest or growing in a dry, arid condition is going to have very different influences on them while they're growing. And so th that plant actually will contain the five elemental balance of what the environment that it came from. And so then you make an essential oil out of that. And if you were to do something like a direct palm inhalation, you know, where you put a few drops of oil on the palm and rub your hands together to create some friction and then inhale that, that scent, that olfactory response is, first of all, the, the closest connection for the brain to the outside world. That information is registering in your olfactory and in your brain before the air even gets to your lungs. It's so immediate and fast. And they say some of the strongest memories that we have are associated to smell. So we can 
smell that banana bread or that like the smell of a certain flower or yeah. something and it can bring us right back to when we're five years old in grandma's kitchen or out in the backyard or something like that you know um so yeah th there's an example then of those five elements from the growing environment being a part of the plant being distilled into a refined essence in that oil and we smell it and it affects the five elements of our body and so there's this direct link from the environment where the plant came from to how it affects the elements of our system and you can I mean try sitting for sitting for different workshops or classes or time with him and like smelling many many different essential oils plus getting the storyline and the backstory of where these plants are coming from how they're prepared all these kinds of things it was really interesting to be able to start noticing those those nuances of oh wow this sage oil smells like hot and dry and clear and windy and kind of frontal on the the smell sense and then this other like say like a sandalwood this is more like warm and soft and more gentle and, and heart opening and yeah yeah anyway so those are <laughs> those are two others Ron Teagarden is great he's been very generous with his sharing of an understanding of Taoist tonic herbalism yeah. I think he's definitely from a, a lineage where it was really clear from the beginning, like the teacher came over and was like, I'm finding a small group of people whom I can transmit as much information about my understanding of tonic herbalism to in as short a period of time. And here we go, let's start. Yeah. Boom. And enormous dump of of tradition and lineage and understanding and cultivated nuance from millennia of time crystallized and then handed over and and so he's I think coming from that that background he's also been really generous in sharing nuances and discernment pieces and things like that I learned a lot about discerning specific quality of different materials or plants from working with Ron you mentioned earlier about your shrine. Do you want to tell us a bit about, uh, or maybe you could talk about the packaging as well of the products, but also how you how you take them and how you recommend people consume them? Oh, awesome! That's a great question. So the, you know, we we try to just like why is it in the packaging it is in? So if people haven't seen these, maybe they'll see them soon on your website. I hope. Yeah. Uh, they. We're basically putting these these amazing herbs into this al alchemical container or packaging in order to give that deference, that respect, that honoring of the material inside. Well, so we make the outside look nice, and we put it in glass, and we put it in miron, or we put it in sometimes some cobalt glass jars, and oh, and it's in a gold wrapper the gold labeling, it has some symbologies on it, just the name itself, Sun Potion, Transformational Foods. Even the name has, there's coding and number sequences in the syntax of how those words fit together. And so when we put these these herbs together on 
you mentioned the shrine, like on the counter in my in my kitchen, so I can see them and I they're beautiful and they're glowing, they're golden, and they're actually they have a presence in the room, and so my maybe my subconscious or something is interacting with the jars when I'm just going about my business during the day, and that's actually helping me to stay consistent and yeah. compliant and taking them regularly because one of the biggest things with preventative tonic herbalism or or just like a, anything that's really preventative is that when people often will forget to take the thing that helps them feel good uh-huh. so they're they're feeling good they forget to take the thing that helps them feel good and then later they aren't feeling as good as they could be <laughs> you know and they're like well it didn't work well you didn't take it that's work <laughs> Um, so we try and make it beautiful in a in a way of like respecting what's inside, honoring that, and then making it appealing, making it tasteful. Um, you know, people want to experience beauty. They want to be surrounded by that. They want to like connect with that. And design elements and and some of that is really important. I feel like in order to reach people, in order to kind of get that initial. You know, sometimes p- people need a little bit of like permission to try something new, and so if we make it look appealing and beautiful and tasteful, um, that's maybe one more way that it gives people permission to try it mm-hmm. because they go, "Oh, I saw this in this blog, and it looked really beautiful," or "I saw this on," or "We heard about a discussion about it online, and then I looked it up," and so. Um, you know, there is some coding, there's some symbology on the logo, on the label and, and the logo. Uh, so there's this winged sun disk, which is a, a circle with two wide wings and two little serpents coming up on either side of the cir- circle. And this is a, this is like a super ancient humanist symbology for embodiment, for transformation, for significant shifts happening in the body and the brain. It can be a depiction of the pineal gland. Some people would say it's a depiction of like a star, like a spacecraft kind of a thing, or a depiction of a light body. And if we were looking at, at the time when Sun Potion, the name and the symbol came in together, there was a, a, I was personally interested in these Egyptian esoteric practices and so I was getting deeper into these things learning about some of the symbology and stuff and when the name Sun Potion came together through a brainstorming session with some friends uh, immediately this winged sun disc just crashed into my (laughs) like slapped me in the forehead you know kind of a thing and it's cool because I had just been learning about how this the wings are at least in that system the condor wings represent transfiguring the body from or or immense change. And so transfiguring or changing the body from density of form into light and becoming like the sun. And the two serpents, we see these through so many different symbologies, whether it's the caduceus or the kundalini or the Taoists have symbologies for this. There's, even if you were to look at other other images in Egyptian things like the Jed Pillar, it's a symbology for the rising of the life force through the spine coming out the crown of the top of the head until you're then, I guess you could say, like illumined or something like that. 
And the serpents in Egyptian mythology, they're the daughter of Anubis. So Kebahut is the daughter of Anubis. She's these two serpents. And you'll see Anubis, the, the dog, he's like a black dog, um, you'll see him riding on Kebahut. So he's always will have like two serpents, one under each, underneath each foot. Or sometimes you'll see him sitting on a box, like a, like a, a side view of the dog uh-huh. sitting on a box. And they say that Kebahut is inside of the box. Uh-huh. And the box would be like a depiction of the Ark of the Covenant or Pandora's box or one of these kinds of things. And she is basically the, the feminine creational aspect of the divine Mm -hmm. and she can be there's a lot of beauty and power and but can also be ferocious and terrible and and so there's like in some of the mythology and Egyptian stuff it's like there's what they would call a mercy lid on the box so like a warning saying like are you sure you want to open this box (laughs) Because, you know, once you open it, it's open. (laughs) You're going to have to deal with what's inside. (laughs) So, like, how does this all relate to food? The reason it relates to food so directly is that these herbs actually reinforce and support the conduits of the body and the energetic pathways of the body to be able to hold more energy or more currency or more current so that we don't have to go from, oh, I just had this amazing kundalini yoga retreat and I like went shooting way off into the like into these different dimensions I had this amazing experience and oh and now I'm just back at my job and it's three days later and I'm like back to normal yeah no we're like trying to get out of the cycle of going up and then coming back down going up and coming back down by nourishing the body reinforcing the circuitry like making the body more not only more robust and powerful, but also more adaptable and, and sensitive to the nuances that are going on so that we can actually hold these experiences. So instead of going up peak, coming back down, we just integrate that uh-huh. information in our new coding and embody it into our system. And then that becomes the new normal so that we're not going up and down and going back to normal. Going like, wow, wasn't that awesome and back to normal. No, it's like now this is the new normal because tonic herbs are plants that help to fortify the system, help to kind of refine some of those sensitivities, some of those latent potentials uh, in the body. So people can like rely on their intuition or their creativity or some of these other things and be able to feel solid and like knowing that they can trust themselves and move from that because there's way more intelligence in that than like the linear fifth dimensional brain or third dimensional brain can really even register as far as what's going on. Amazing. (laughs) Um, Do you want to tell us about how how you take them like practically and how you advise other people to enjoy them, ingest them? Oh, great question. So we... Uh, Nitsa and I drink a lot of tea, and we, if we're not drinking tea, we're having like coconut cream or nut milks, or sometimes we'll even do a little cold brew coffee or something like that. And so, ways of taking them and enjoying them. Basically, the most important thing is that people just add them to whatever they're already doing. Like, 
everybody has a morning routine or a protocol that they're doing and it's really like easiest on that compliance level if people can just add these things to foods or drinks or a smoothie or a shake or whatever they're already doing so that it's like already a part of their life and all they have to remember to do is add that little bit of powder into it. So the way that we do it is we'll get up in the morning, have a couple of rounds of tea, um, and then we'll at some point we'll be like, oh, I guess it's time for a potion now. So potion a day. So we're get like a tea, a tea base. Yeah, and you can on Instagram you can even look at hashtag a potion a day, and all these people like send pictures of their potions that they're drinking that day. And then, so it's this like fun kind of community sharing of, here's my potion a day, and I'm putting it next to some flowers that I got at the farmer's market, and like, oh, isn't this creative? So, we do, most of the herbs are really strong, and they are, their power actually comes through taking them consistently. So, the idea isn't to take more, it's actually to take them more consistently. Uh-huh. And so you can really get a lot of leverage off of eating even just a half teaspoon a day of most of these herbs, which if you're actually to get out a half teaspoon measurement spoon and measure that, that it's a small, it's a tip of a normal spoon. Um, But if you were to look at like volume-wise, you could have people look at their pinky and the volume of the tip of their pinky, that that last digit of their pinky Uh from their knuckle to the tip is... Is roughly like a great size to start at and a good visual to go on. And so, yeah, we just encourage people to add the, the powder to some water or some, some other liquid that they're drinking in the morning and have it every day and just make it a part of their system or their, their protocol. Tonic herbs are pretty awesome in that they're very forgiving in, in the way that they interact with the body. So a medicinal plant requires a lot of education, requires a lot of like paying attention to how it's interacting with or how we're using it with the body. But the reason that medicinal plants are effective is that some part of them is actually poisonous or toxic. And so a tonic herb as an alternative to that is one of these plants that's not not meant to be taken for any specific problem or symptom. It's meant to be something that you build that information in the body. So we're titrating small amounts of the tonic herbs daily into the system over a long period of time. And that's where the power comes from. And then the other cool thing is that because most of the herbs or most of the plants in the Sun Potion line are actually tonic herbs, tonic herbs work well. They work actually really great together with one another. So you can, people can take a couple of the herbs together and they'll have a whole synergistic thing that they'll do that's different if they were just taking them individually. Mm-hmm. Which ones do you take yourself daily currently? Oh, my personal favorites that, I'm, that I've been taking for some time and I, I look forward to taking for years to come are the reishi mushroom, the Hoshiwu extract, so that's like kidney yin jing restorative, nourishes the kidneys, great for cultivating and building life force in the body. 
astragalus extract, which is awesome for just moving and circulating. Anywhere that there's blockages or stagnation in the body, it'll actually go in and open the channels and open the blood capillaries and things and circulate blood through, circulate the chi through the meridians. So we have reishi that's like modulating the immune system, great for balancing and harmonizing the mood and the shen and that kind of thing. Then we have Hoshuwu that's really building and cultivating that life force in the kidneys. Then the astragalus that's moving all of this around throughout the body. And then, what else? Makunapurian's extract. So that's that one we spoke about right away in the beginning. Great for the mood, good for the nervous system. Ashitaba. Uh-huh. Ashitaba has, has the most B12 of any land-growing plant, and it's actually a precursor to... It has a bunch of this calcone, which are precursors to nerve growth hormone. Uh-huh. So as, a, as an individual plant, it's really awesome for building the blood. For vegans, it helps to nourish, nourish the red blood cells. So it's, you know, if people aren't eating any kind of mm, like animal products, they can have things like ashitaba to help nourish the blood, build the blood in the system. And the ashitaba also has this plant chemical called calcone, which are precursors to nerve growth hormone. So when we're born, we have a huge amount of nerve growth hormone, like the most we'll ever have in our body, right? Yeah. Around our, at very young age. And it's because our, our body is actually like running nervous system cordage and conduits. It's like building its nervous system. So it has to have this nerve growth hormone to be running all this track through the, through the body. And as we grow through adolescence, it's not needed as much as we grow into like our 20s and 30s. By the time we're in our 30s, mid-30s, that kind of thing, our levels of nerve growth hormone are just really beyond dying, like beyond falling off. They're just like plummeting. So it's not uncommon to have very, very low levels of nerve growth hormone in the 30s, 40s, and onward. But if you eat something like ashitaba, that's actually nourishing and like supporting some of that nerve growth hormone to be back in the body, then the effect is that it can be really just restorative and great for the nervous system, obviously, but also great for the skin. And um, mm. So where, it's a kind of... Where does like, it grow? What tradition is it from? Well, that one is from traditionally from Japan. We don't source any foods from Japan because of that unfortunate catastrophe that happened there not too long ago but the the current well the the init uh, this is an interesting story that the way that i understand they found ashitaba to be a useful plant to eat was that there was actually a like an island that they had some prisoners on and they were trying to starve the the people on this prison <laughs> island in japan and they were not <laughs> having any success of it because these guys were like you know looking all trim and muscular and <laughs> looking really really svelte and this kind of stuff and they eventually came to figure out that they were actually eating the weeds that were growing behind the the barracks of the the uh, the, the prison or whatever there yeah. and the, the weeds were the ashitaba and so they these guys were in, inadvertently eating this like incredible like beauty blood-nourishing, beauty food, and uh, 
so anyways, that's kind of its initial start. And then it was used traditionally in Japan as a, as a beauty food, as a skin food, as a digestive. Um, so that's kind of its history. And then uh, it grows in kind of like rocky shore, like along the ocean kind of a thing. Um, doesn't have to be right by the shore, but that kind of quickly um, draining kind of rocky coastal soils does well in. Um, so the the current supplier that we're using is from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and we'll be seeing them in a, in July when we go out there, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Yeah, amazing! All of that was just yeah incredible. <laughs> um, I won't talk up any more of your time, Scott. I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. Um, we'll put a link to Sun Potion and people can read more about everything there. And as you said, um, we are hoping to get at least a few of the products on the website really soon. So within the next And you'll month, be the first you'll be the first major food hub in England and Europe to be carrying these foods, amazing. which is just such an exciting thing and <laughs> honor to be participating in business with yeah. you and Thank you so much for the invitation to talk with your community, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, um, no. Is it okay if I tell people about our like Instagram and things yeah, like that? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Oh, great! So, if people are interested in seeing like some of the lifestyle aspects of how these herbs can affect your <laughs> affect your daily experience, you could go and look at our our Instagram has quite a lot of pictures and different things that are really beautiful and and so it's at Sun Potion, very simple. And they can see like hashtags on there like the a potion a day and and things like that. And so they'll be able to connect with that whole community. And then our website, sunpotion.com, also will have if people are looking to learn more about the specific plants, they can go and there's a good page or two write up about each of the plants there. Um, there's also other um, blog articles and articles and things like that in the about us in the press. So th- those are some places. And then, of course, um, being a part of this great community that you're stewarding, um, we would definitely encourage your members to find their find the products through your outlet and um, to shop at your store and to support their local purveyor of, <laughs> of these awesome foods so please do that Amazing. and enjoy well it's such a joy to speak with someone who really um uh i guess understands what what we're, what we're trying to achieve on such a clear level i think you know everyone that's working in this movement whatever they're doing is is moving everything forward in one way or another, but to speak with someone who really um, has such clarity around actually what that means and why they're doing it is, um, yeah, a great pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's Thank been a, a joy to be on the, on the show with you. Thank you, Scott.